0: About 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about eight miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at ZionPBC.com. That's zionpb where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at the life of David. We've come to the point where we see the aftermath of his victory over Goliath. You know, it's been said that there are many men who can survive adversity, but there are very few that can survive prosperity. David's success would bring changes to his life, but one of the characteristics of David, which makes him a man after God's own heart, is that success didn't change David. Join us today as we see the aftermath of his victory over Goliath. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. To turn this morning to the book of First Samuel, the 18th chapter. Uh, we're actually going to grab a few verses in the 17th chapter. And I want to go back to our study on David, a man after God's own heart. We said when we began this study that uh, we feel like it's important that if there is someone in the Word of God that's called a man after God's own heart, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to explore his life because. Our striving should be toward Christ. Our standard is Christ. He's our ruler, if you will. But we'll never make it to the level that Christ was. We'll never measure up when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But we have encouraging accounts in the Word of God of real men and real women who really lived and really served and really tried uh, to do some things to serve the Lord. And we read about David as being a man after God's own heart. We saw uh, back over in the 15th and the 16th chapter, rather, where, that, uh, where David was anointed by God to be the king in place of Saul, who was still seated on the throne. But from the moment God anointed David, Saul had been rejected, and David was, in fact, the king in the mind of god now he did not in fact take the throne as we've seen in fact what he did was he continued to serve and that's one of the characteristics of a man after god's own heart is he continues he has a servant heart and he continues to serve Even in the face of adversity, even in the face of uh, maybe things not going his way or not going uh, the way he thinks they should, he continued to serve. And we read in the 17th chapter about David's great victory over Goliath and how that uh, these really these two giants met on the field. One was a giant in stature, uh, the other was a giant in spirit. And they met on the field there (coughs) and David uh, slew Goliath in the power and in the spirit of God. And today I want us to move on and I want us to look at the aftermath of his victory, the aftermath of his victory. Now notice what's happened. He, David has won a great victory. It wasn't just, some, you know, he'd won some victories in the past, He'd been out on the hillside and alone taking care of the sheep and the, the lion and the bear came. And those were great victories, but nobody would really know about those victories unless David went out and promoted himself. Now today, I suppose what we would do uh, uh, in politics is if uh, I went out and won a great victory, I'd start putting out a press release and say, hey, let me tell you what I did over here. That's what David would have had to do there. But he would have had to promote himself. And the only time he actually mentioned it is when it was relevant to his uh, his fight with Goliath. But uh, he had won great victories, but now he's won a great public victory. We learned when we talked about David in the uh, 17th chapter that his victory over Goliath did not begin there that day in the Valley of Elah. It began uh, on the hillsides of Judea when he was herding those sheep that nobody else, uh, everybody else was too important to herd, and he was uh, taking care of the daily things. His daily walk with the Lord was important. Child of God, if you want to slay giants, you got to learn to shepherd sheep. Okay, you got to learn that you've got to be able to go out there and uh, on the daily grind and be faithful. If you're faithful in a few things, God will make you faithful in many things. You see, it's not the great victory. Uh, that define you it's the daily walk that defines you and there's a saying that i heard it says for every 100 people who can survive adversity there's only one who can survive prosperity (laughs) you know the problem we got today in america we're too prosperous. You know why in Africa uh, we come back, we hear the reports from Brother Sam Bryant and others that have gone to Africa to preach the gospel. You know why they embrace it so heartily and so readily? It's because they're they're not as prosperous as we are. They, had to, they have to walk some of them for hours at a time or travel for a day or more. I remember reading, I can't remember the details Brother Buddy, but there was somebody that had to take a train uh, that took them 24 hours to get from the place they were to the place they were going just to hear hear the gospel preached. now how how many of us would do that how many of us would do that you say oh man I just really don't know if I want to go to Vestavia it's an hour and a half away (laughs) oh man I tell you that's just a long ride you know three hours away it's tough because we're so prosperous and things are we're minute men we want it just like that you see in in prosperity as, as the saying goes for every 100 people that can survive adversity there's only one that can survive prosperity Success will change you and your circumstances. And the aftermath of David's victory over Goliath changed his circumstances. And we're gonna see as we read about him though that it didn't change David. That it didn't change David. Remember, that's so important. So let's look first at the spoils of victory. The spoils of victory. First of all, there were monetary benefits for his victory over Goliath. Remember going back to chapter 17 and verse 55. It says, when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now let me just... Dispel something right here. There's been uh, those that would claim there's a conflict in the Word of God because we know from reading chapter 16 and chapter 17 to some extent, but certainly chapter 16, that Saul already knew David. David was coming down to the palace and playing his harp for the king. So they say, well, he didn't even... This is an error in the Word of God, and it's a problem here that, uh, that, that, that we can't get around. Now look, though, you know, it's always... <laughs> I always get amazed that people want to find a conflict when they don't really pay attention to what the Word says. They want to say, oh, there's a discrepancy between these verses when they really don't read the verse and see what it says. Notice something here. There's no discrepancy between this and chapter 16. He didn't ask who David was. He didn't say, what's the name of this young man? He was asking who his family is. Now if you go back to chapter seven, uh, in chapter 17 to verse 25, you'll recall that uh, when David got down there, uh, the men of Israel told him about the, the, the incentive plan that the king had set forth for the man who killed Goliath. It says, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, now listen, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Notice there was a monetary benefit. He was gonna get treasure and there was a tax-free benefit. He was gonna be, his father's house Because of David's great victory, his father's house was going to be uh, free from taxes from then on in Israel. He was going to be free in Israel. So he was just asking who his father was. Because, hey, Abner, we got to get this man off the tax rolls. (laughs) See, there's no discrepancy here. But notice that there was a monetary benefit to his success. Now, you know, money will change you if you don't watch it. You come into a great. How many people have you read about that have won the lottery? I, I, I looked it up one time on Google, and I, I looked at all the people that have won the lottery, and they end up dying in abject poverty, if not in jail. <laughs> one man was murdered eventually by uh, several people that attached themselves to him to get that had siphoned off all of his money, all of his money. So there was a monetary benefit to David here, and there was a monetary benefit to his family. They were gonna not have to pay taxes anymore. But notice also what I just read to you, there was a matrimonial benefit. There was a matrimonial benefit. It said the man that, uh, that, that kills this, uh, this giant, the king is gonna give him his daughter. <laughs> he, he's gonna to get to marry the king's daughter. His circumstances are really gonna change, you see. And over in chapter 18, verses 17 through verse 27 gives you the account of how David eventually became son-in-law to the king. Now, it was a rocky path. At first, uh, uh, it says in verse 17, Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merab, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Now, come back to that in a minute, and you'll realize that Saul is setting a trap for David here for various reasons. I'll come back to that in a minute, though. But ultimately, as you begin to read, you'll see that... uh, that uh, in the time in verse 19, when it when the, the daughter Mirab should have been given to David, instead he gave her to somebody else. Saul Saul was a problem. Saul always had he was never faithful. He never did what he should have done. He was always kind of going his own way. I don't know why. Maybe it was more politically expedient for him to marry off Merib to uh, to this uh, other person here. But uh, but in verse 20, we read that there was a backup plan. Okay, And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Now, you're going to read, as, we, as I said, uh, down through verse... Uh, Verse 27, for various things David had to do, but ultimately he was able to marry Michael, but she wasn't, let me just say, she wasn't a great catch, okay? And, and I think Saul knew this already, because look at what he said in verse 21. Saul said, I will give him her. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to give Mira. I don't know what kind of personality Mira had. Maybe he was, maybe she was his favorite daughter. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe she was a sweet uh, young thing or whatever. But notice that what Saul says about his own daughter, he says, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him. (laughs) Poor Michael. Michael had a personality that wouldn't wait, okay? There were some problems with Michael. And Saul knew there were problems. And he says, I'm going to give her to David. Uh, and she'll be a snare to him that the hand of the Philistines may be against him and he, he set certain things that Saul that David had to do he had to kill so many uh, men of the Philistines he had to he had to go out into battle and Saul was hoping he would get killed but also I'll say to you Michael was not uh, a great choice let's just say that uh, if you read and continue reading in the 19th chapter and we'll come to that at, at some point in the series You'll find beginning in about verse 11 that Michael, rather than being a godly influence on David, she participated in and probably encouraged David to utilize deception and lying and, 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 and to, to engage in fear, uh, to run in fear from Saul when, when God had already made him the king. God had already said he's the king he's going to be the king. You'll find is, if you turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we won't do that right now, but, uh, but read about uh, David bringing the ark home, uh, finally, after he becomes king and he brings the ark home. Michael wasn't a very supportive spouse. Now, I, I grant you, David doesn't appear to be the ideal husband either. Uh, we'll read about that, unfortunately, as we go along. That's one thing I love about the Word of God. It doesn't just glorify the men and tell the good stuff. It tells the bad as well. And I believe that's to give us encouragement that no man is perfect but the Lord Jesus Christ. But you'll find that when he brought the the ark home and he was dancing before the Lord and he was glorifying God, that Michael was very negative about that and very much a a downer, if you will. She was the Debbie Downer of this situation, okay? (laughs) But there were matrimonial benefits. and, And so notice what happened. Even regardless of her problems, his life changed drastically. Uh, he he had been out on the on the Bethlehem hillsides. That, that would be i I'll tell you what I'll just use this as an example. That would be like us living here in Zion, Alabama, and, and having time to go out at night and you can still see the stars because there's no lights around and you can hear the you can hear the crickets and you can hear the coyotes at times. You can you can just just be out here and, and the silence of those hillsides. And and instead of staying here, we move to Birmingham, or even better yet, New York City, (laughs) where we've been. We move to a place like that. And the silence of the Bethlehem hillsides is going to be replaced now by the hustle and bustle of the the Jerusalem streets and the hustle and bustle of the palace. David's life is going to change drastically. No more is he a shepherd boy. But now he's becoming a big-time player in the kingdom, you see. His success, his victory over Goliath, part of the aftermath was this matrimonial benefit which changed his life. And then there were military benefits as well. In verse 5 of chapter 18, look at what we we read here. It says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. We see here that he becomes a military leader. He he's actually set over all the men of war, and he became famous, and his fame and fortune is about to give him some problems. He's in the limelight now. And now songs are being written about him. And he's becoming a household name. Listen to what verses six and seven tell us. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tablets, with joy, and with music, instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That was a new hit song in Jerusalem. That was a new song they were singing. You could, you know, I can see Saul walking around the palace one day, and he's he's standing around there, and he hears somebody humming over here. One of his says, "What are you singing?" Oh, you know, they have to catch themselves because they're singing not about Saul and his ten thousands, but about David and his ten thousands. See, David has become as, as famous, if you will, as Saul has. And, and it's going to cause him problems. Now, he, he's, he's become a household name. Uh, the, the, the paparazzi, if you will, are coming around him uh, now. And they're trying to uh, uh, get his autograph, if you will, and that sort of thing. Now, let me just say to you, few people can survive this kind of fame. There's very few people that can survive this kind of success. You know, there's a um, there's a, a verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 that says, Let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Just about the time you think that you're something, you better remember that you're nothing, you see. And notice what notice what David did. Look at verse 5. And there's there's three times this appears, this phrase appears. It said, David went out whithersoever saw seen him, and behaved himself wisely. In verse, uh, uh, verse 14, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. And look at verse 30. It says, And it came to pass, down in the verse there, that uh, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. That word wisely there means to be or to act circumspect. To, uh, it, it, the basic meanings, meaning is, means to look at or to give attention to. Um, and the idea here is, is it gives the connotation of insight or comprehension. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. And here it's talking about the idea of not just an intellectual thing, but the idea of being wise. See, there's a difference in having wisdom and being wise. If you have it up here, that's fine. But if you don't implement it in your life, it's not any good to you. David behaved himself wisely. And the spoils of victory didn't really affect him too much. Because he behaved himself wisely and the Lord was with him. Now, the spoils of victory are one thing, but I want you to see the strains of victory the strains of victory that occurred after his victory over Goliath. Now, first of all, after this victory, David found, David gained a new enemy. He found a new enemy. And remember what we said in verses 6 and 7, or verse 7 particularly, the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Notice verse 8, and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? They're elevating him to my level, and the next thing you know, they're going to put him in as king. Saul was always, he always had a problem with walking by faith. That's why he's in the position he's in. When they they came to ordain him and anoint him as king, he was hiding among the stuff. (laughs) He was distracted by the things of the world. He had a problem with faith from the very beginning all through his kingship. You see his struggle with faith. He sacrificed when he shouldn't have. He went to war when he shouldn't have. He spared those he, he, he went against God's commandment when he shouldn't have. And now we have the situation where and you remember in chapter 15 and verse 28 Samuel told him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. I think Saul had an inferiority complex. Even though he was king, he had an inferiority complex. You know, I guess I would too if God told me that I'm going to take it away from you and give it to somebody better than you. (laughs) You know, it's not because he had any innate nature that was better than then Saul's, David was a, sin, a sinful man. David had a sin nature just like Saul did. But the difference is, is that Saul, tried, uh, David rather, tried to serve God. He tried to overcome his sin nature and walk by faith, whereas Saul always walked by sight. Always. And Saul, we, we read, it says in verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Jealousy arose. Jealousy arose between friends because, you know, we're told in verse uh, 21 of chapter 16, it says, And David came to Saul, this is when Saul summoned him to play for him, and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. There was a love between Saul and and David, and you know, David had come to Saul's aid when he needed it. When Saul was in, in in sin and he wouldn't deal with that sin, and they tried to gloss it over by getting this musical uh, therapy going here where it he said, okay, instead of repenting and, and trying to do the right thing, Saul, his servant said, just call David and let him play for him because the music will help him. <laughs> you know, I found that to be the case. you There are times when I, I, I'm in a rebellious state against God but I can listen to some singing. I can do. All, and I can feel a little better for a time. When really, what I need to do is deal with that rebellious state. But it's a lot easier just to listen to music. <laughs> you know, it's not easier just to put on a CD. Saul should have dealt with that. But but David came and helped him, and he loved him, and there was a good relationship there. But how many good friendships have been ruined by jealousy? You know, one of the things we talk about so often, brother Buddy and I, and Tim, brother Tim, and the others around. Brother Mackey tells us about it often how in the past there were problems in the Primitive Baptist communities around this area, and it all stemmed back to preachers being jealous of one another. And that doesn't just, it's not just unique to Primitive Baptists, it happens in other places. How many times do you see? where a preacher says, I'm not going to preach that person. They might like him better than me. (laughs) You know, I want to tell you all something. I hope you like Brother Buddy better than me. I hope, because I like Brother Buddy better than me. I love to hear him preach a whole lot better than I like to hear me preach, okay? I love to hear others preach. I want, you know, there shouldn't be any jealousy among folks. And jealousy will ruin a friendship. It'll ruin it. And it ruined it here. David found a new enemy. Because Saul slipped into suspicion, jealousy, and ultimately it turned into hate. Notice that in verse 10 and 11, he tried to commit murder. <laughs> it says that it came to pass when the evil spirit of God came upon Saul. David was playing for him. It says in verse 11, Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. You've got to wonder about David's thinking there, you know, Twice. <laughs> Oh, no, I won't throw the javelin at you this time, David. Come back and play for me some more, you know. I mean, I got a little sense, but uh, anyway. But David was a servant, you see. He continued to do what he was supposed to do. David, jealousy slipped into their relationship, and ultimately the relationship turned to hate. Verse 29. Verse 29, verse 28, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him and Saul was yet the more afraid of David and Saul became David's enemy continually. And the rest of our study on David is going to be dealing primarily at least uh, up to 2 Samuel with, the, with, the enemy, with his enemy Saul and their enmity between each other. But you know something else that was a good thing, but it also was a strain of the victory, a result of it, and it became a strain. David not only found a new enemy, but he found a new friend. He found a new friend. Look at chapter 18 and verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And as we continue reading there, we see in verse, well, just read verse two Saul took him that day, would let him go no more home to his father's house. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David, and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. Brother John Morgan mentioned this earlier in his portion of the message. It's all right for men to be friends. In fact, David and Jonathan are the standard for all godly friendships in the future. I know there's some in the world that have tried to turn this beautiful friendship into something perverted. And I'll tell you, love it, it is not. It is not. Don't ever let anybody tell you that and don't ever let anybody scare you away from this. It's okay for two men to be friends. In fact, I think it's important for two children of God, males females who it's important to have those friendships like this what a difficult situation it was clearly it was difficult for either of them to manage this friendship this friendship would survive the strains of success which led to his own father being being the enemy of his best friend this friendship was based on God and truth look at what he said in verse 3 Jonathan and David made a covenant Because he loved him as his own soul. They they made a covenant. This this friendship was based on God and truth. Now understand where Jonathan is in this. Sometimes we, we talk about David and we don't talk too much about Jonathan. But think about Jonathan here. Jonathan knew that in the natural course of things, he himself, Jonathan, was supposed to be the next king. He knew that, but he also knew that David was anointed to be the king. Look at verse four, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe, gave it to David, and even to his sword and his bow and his girdle. I don't know exactly what this was about, but maybe Jonathan is here acknowledging the future kingship with his best friend David. And think about it from Jonathan's perspective. He watched in frustration, no doubt, as his father who stood head and shoulders above the others in Israel, acted the part of the coward and trembled in his tent while this giant came out and assaulted verbally and otherwise his own armies. He watched as David, the young shepherd boy, came into the picture and marched down there with a sling and a stone and then came marching back with the head and the armor of the giant. I'm sure he watched in awe as all this unfolded, seeing how good God was to David. And yet, Jonathan didn't slip into jealousy or fear. You know, I believe God was blessing David here. God gave David one good friend that he could always count on. You know, adversity is sort of the litmus test, is it not, for the fair-weather friend? You know... I'm, your, I'm, I'm really your friend up uh, until you start having problems and it starts costing me and then you kind of on your own You know, <laughs> that's a fair weather friend but not Jonathan as we continue to read this and, and I'll tell you it breaks my heart as I read this today it almost moves me to tears thinking about what's going to happen here these two best friends will ultimately be separated by the sin of one of them's father alright let let's close this out today with some lessons here First of all, David was able to survive the aftermath of his victory by refusing to be changed by this success that he had found. He was the same before Goliath, after Goliath rather, as he was before Goliath. You know, he, was, he had a submissive servant heart. He did whatever Saul told him to. We read in verse 10, he continued to play for the king. Yet he was the war leader. And yet when Saul said, hey, I want you to go slay Philistines, I'll go do it. He behaved himself wisely. And he said, but now, now I want you to come in here tonight I want you to play on the heart for me. Just do back, go back to what you were doing before. He did it. He even did it twice. He even did it the second time after Saul had tried to kill him. David had a submissive servant heart that did not change after the victory over Goliath. Secondly, I believe David was able to survive this victory, his success, survive his success because he didn't take credit for any of it. You remember what we read in the 17th chapter? Uh, Even when he was talking to Saul, even when when he was facing Goliath, he said, God is going to do this. God is going to do it. It's not me that's doing it. I'm just a little shepherd boy. I don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the power to do it. But God is going to do it through me. And whatever we do, we're going to do it for the glory of God. He was the least impressed of anybody by his victory over Goliath. You ever had a case like that? Ever had a situation where you won a great victory and everybody was patting you on the back, but you knew in your heart of hearts, it wasn't you that did it it wasn't uh, it wasn't because you were so great that you really you know i've been in that situation where i almost stumbled at the end of, it's coming into the finish line so to speak i almost stumbled and dropped the ball i was like i felt like i was like the guy that uh uh you've seen those uh those reels uh, those highlight reels and on youtube maybe of football games where the guy intercepts the pass and he runs down to the one yard line and fumbles the ball right before he right before he scores the touchdown that's the way i feel to be many times but God blesses me sometimes to get the ball across the goal line, you see. And those times I'm least impressed of anybody. And that's the way we should be. That's the way David was. Now sometimes, don't get me wrong, I get lifted up in pride too. Oh, look at me. Look what I've done. Nebuchadnezzar, you know. Uh, look at great Babylon, which I've built. Look at all the things I've done. Usually those times are the times when I don't win very big. <laughs> the Lord teaches me a lesson. But David was the least impressed of anybody. He didn't read his own press clippings, Okay. I've heard it said that you're never as good as they say you are <laughs> i like that <laughs> but now also the flip side of that is and i also like that is you're never as bad as they say they are and say you are either so you need to remember that david refused to read his own press and he stayed humble and instead he praised the lord we're going to see in david's life that there are times when he continues to be faithful to god there are times when he fumbles the ball but in general the path of his life is i can do all things through christ which strengtheneth me and i say to you this morning there is no limit to what we can do when we give god all the praise and the glory for it thank you for joining us today on the zion primitive baptist church podcast i hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com.